Timothy Swan. Psychomedia. Ben Fell. Podcast. Can't touch this. Yep. Yep. That's right. We're recycling a jingle from last week <laughs> as we enter part two of our musical double bill. Also, I apologize. That is the first note that I have fluffed on the Psychomedia podcast. This is an auspicious day. Yes. There will be more uh, later. <laughs> we're ups. not going to say too much more about later. <laughs> but uh, it's been Let's somewhat say... more than 12 seconds preparation for this second uh, second half. Uh, yeah. Be afraid. Yeah, it really be has. Be very afraid. But yeah. uh, aren't you glad it's Friday, Tim? I, I am. I am, uh, as you're listening to this, because you're such a keen fan, you download it. I mean, the American fans may be more so, but the UK fans, it goes out at 8pm on a Friday night. Anyone who listens it to that night, I really, I'm, I, like, I, I want to hug you or something but only once i put my headphones in we should uh, do that thing that we do where we shamelessly copy from podcasts that are actually good and we like uh, and ask people to tweet a certain thing if they listen to it on the friday yeah um how about you tweet us i'm listening to this on friday, friday. yeah that subtle code word exactly but you have to spell friday in a slightly different way and to find out, you'll have to listen to the very end. <laughs> Which is much easier than... Well, I say it's much easier than with uh, twit, uh, Um I suppose, temporarily speaking, it's easier with us. Possibly uh, resilience and uh, you know, fortitude-wise, it's actually potentially a bit more difficult. But anyway. Yeah. I mean, I think it would be interesting. Let's just say if we were... Uh, in the future, 10 years from now, still doing this, which is possible. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah. Um, do you think that uh, we'll still be, you know, putting out like an hour and a half show each week and still just being vaguely bitter towards one another? <laughs> I can. And somehow our star will rise and rise and rise. It takes time. I can but hope that we will still be as bitter towards each other as we are now. And what happens when you... Because they kind of move from Radio 1 to Radio 5. Um, we move to Skynet. Where do you move from the internet? Skynet, obviously. <laughs> we'll upload our consciousness into a cloud. Yes, we'll be beaming our, our psychology directly into your brain. Which we'll have to have discovered the technology to do by being psychologists first. Mm. Easier for some of us than, more than others, and not easy for either, either of us. <laughs> True. Social psychology uh, is not going to discover uh, anything of that nature. But anyway, never mind. I invented it in a book. Does that count? <laughs> I think if I it did, we, if it did, we wouldn't need psychologists. I think things would be terrible if everything that was come up with by fiction in books then became an invention. That would be like the number of super weapons. That would be a horrifying world. I mean, I don't know how much of the Star Wars expanded universe you know about, Ben. <laughs> But seriously, Death Star, Death Tim, Star, Death Star, Death Tim, Star, the, the, Sun Crusher, World Devastators. Tim, the worrying thing is I don't know how much of the Star Wars extended universe I don't know about. That's what <laughs> frightens me about it. Yeah, and it's not the whole dark matter, dark energy thing. It's the unknown unknowns. Yes. <laughs> uh, he well, wasn't talking about uh, military strategy. He was talking about Star Wars fandom. Which is ironic, because it's Dick Cheney who's usually portrayed as Darth Vader. <laughs> uh, yeah. 
Well, thinking of politics, we don't have any backfeeding because that's right. We're recording a double back-to-back episode, and I'm pretty sure nothing has come in in the last uh, hour and a half. I'll double check. Uh, I don't think so. I, I was tweeting during the first half. Um, yes, I spotted, <laughs> which suggests that I also looked at Twitter at some point. <laughs> um, but it doesn't look like we've had anything on there. Uh, and yeah, uh, you have some things you vaguely wanted to talk about. And you, I've had an email, but not to the podcast. That's not really relevant. <laughs> no, I put something on the Facebook page when we were just about to start recording the first episode. Um, but we haven't had any response on that. Anyone would think it was, you know, between nine and five on a working day. <laughs> A time when, you know, many people in our listener demographic have exams and that sort of thing. Ha! Huh. Working. Anyway, <laughs> uh, yeah, like, what else have you done this week, Tim? Uh, well, this week I have not had any time off from the Jubilee, uh, no. which is fine. So you're now a Republican. I don't think that's the way it works, because <laughs> if I was a Republican, I wouldn't get any time that I couldn't have off. At least this way round, I'm working on bank holiday rates. Ah, um, that is good. Yeah, uh, well, it's it's fine. But uh, the uh, the thing about that is, yeah, we've had the Queen's Diamond Jubilee, and as far as I'm aware, it's been a great success. And unlike our kind of prediction from last week, Prince Philip hasn't said anything too anti-Semitic. Huzzah! Because yeah, in case you didn't get that bit in the joke, Ben, <laughs> the joke was that he said something anti-Semitic because he's Prince Philip, and he always says inappropriate things, and it's inappropriate because anyway. It was very nuanced. It, yeah, too much so for me, or maybe I was doing it deliberately. <laughs> well, don't worry. This week's outro is going to be much, <laughs> much, um, much less nuanced. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was I was reading an article this week written by a Republican uh, in the sense of because I always have to explain this to Americans because Republican generally means referring to of the Republican Party than someone in Britain who wants there to not be a queen. Mm. And. This article was an article, I think, in the Independent or Telegraph online where they said things to say to royalist friends. And it was all like, we know all about the benefits to tourism and the things that the Queen does and the charities and so on and so on. But we don't like hereditary privilege. So all of that stuff we just ignore. And it's like, I guess I'm too much of a consequentialist Mm. because... It seemed to me that they were just like, well, we see all these points you make, but we ignore them and keep saying the one thing over and over and over again. Um, and really, I think I'd like to be a Republican. I think democracy in our leadership would be great, except that if you compare the Queen to political leaders in her reign, I pick the Queen. Yeah, that's like, that's a very good point, actually. Like, even even if it came to, like, making decisions on running the country, I think I'd probably give her a fair, a, a, at least give her, like, a month's, a month's trial period uh, over, like, supreme supreme dictatorship over the current system i'd probably give it a go at the very least well what could she do wrong i mean okay so she wouldn't necessarily understand poor people but hey what's new <laughs> even <laughs> Miliband's millionaire um so yeah i was just looking up who should replace the queen because i'm sure they did a poll right and can you guess who topped that, that poll which britain topped the poll uh as people who they like more than the queen as who should become the king if it was elected right now? Well, I hope it'd be Stephen Fry. Yeah, it wasn't Stephen Fry. Oh. Uh, Opposite end of the intellectual spectrum. Oh, no. But a somewhat more physically beautiful, apparently. Uh, no, I can't. I, 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 I like to think that I don't even have the capability of coming up with the answer. 
um, then that would be David Beckham. What? Yeah, I mean, it makes little to no sense. Where where was the... Look, okay, there's there's so many possible questions. Where was the poll done? Who did it? Who was it done on? Blah, blah, blah. British people. I genuinely couldn't care less. (laughs) It's so far below the radar of a reasonable statistic that I couldn't care less. Yeah. Um, Well... Yeah, so assuming that there hasn't been a revolution installing David Beckham. <laughs> <laughs> the thing is, in I... order to buy him back from wherever he's currently set up in America or wherever, you'd probably have to dip into the uh, Royal Reserves just to foot the bill. Woo! Biting yeah, satire. Yeah, LA Galaxy wouldn't sell him, even though it would make him President of Britain. <laughs> King of Britain, surely. Um, well, oh, right, are you we saying we're having an elected kink? Because seriously, Phantom Menace, you know? No, I don't. Move on. <laughs> <laughs> we could end up with a 14-year-old as queen. <laughs> we could. And we're back to, you know, uh, Hunter and Schellenberg's emo <laughs> Yes. Like, the queen today has been reported to have locked herself in her room, <laughs> one of her many bedrooms. Listening to My Chemical Romance. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um... The Queen has knighted all of these people. Hey, Justin Bieber is Canadian. Justin Bieber is Canadian. The 14-year-old Queen could make him a lord, possibly. Lord Bieber. How horrifying. Um, <laughs> Be hilarious. Yes. You would probably destroy the House of Lords more thoroughly than the current Lords reforms. <laughs> why aren't we doing a political show, Ben? That's why. Because have you noticed who's making all the political jokes? <laughs> Maybe you should well, do a political show. Although, I mean, it's the same, it's the same dynamic like as all the best ones. Is someone knows what's going on and someone doesn't. Exactly. I would call you the straight man, but it's not quite like that. <laughs> uh, you wish. Hey, you know the great <laughs> thing about today's outro? <laughs> what's that? We'll have a new thing to sing slash say. Slash, I'm not doing anything spoilery. No, we, we will. Anyway... Um, have you done anything else this week other than think up jokes about the, uh, the Jubilee? Oh, well, I mean, if I was actually going to think up jokes about the Jubilee, I'm sure there'd be something involving X-Men in there. <laughs> uh-huh. Yep, yep, that's that's probably true. Uh, uh, yeah, no, um, this week, and I mean last week, uh, I actually listened, bought a new album, which you think I would have mentioned <laughs> in a music podcast. <laughs> well, we're still okay. in a music podcast. Just, yeah, but I didn't know that when we started. We've got to save some of the good stuff for the second episode. It's not like we decided to do this purely on the fly because we ran out of time. Jeez. I think we actually made that decision on air. <laughs> Please leave that in. Yeah, it's, it's important for the organic... That's, that's the term you use when to mean cobbled together and bodged. It's organic. <laughs> yes, authentic. Making it up as you go along. Well, that is how conversation and the podcast is like enhanced conversation works. Although some of it is scripted. <coughs> all the stuff we do at the beginning is scripted. Yeah, yeah. Highly and all the stuff highly scripted we, by a team of extremely competent and intelligent and practiced writers. Yeah, you know, all the ones who do the, like the additional material. It's like James Kettle and Benjamin Partridge and stuff. Um, but yeah, so what did I do this week? I watched, uh, no, I bought an album. I bought the new Sia Roars album, and I say it like that because I'm that guy that you hate. Um, <laughs> who buys Sia Roars? Yeah, anyway. 
there's nothing wrong with buying Sia Rua's albums, but just say Sigur Ross like the rest of us guys. Um, well, how, does, does Sigur Ross themselves say Sigur Yeah, but they're Icelandic, so it's okay. Uh, but when they're speaking in English, never mind. I don't know. Was it- You'll have to... Look, he's he's a gay guy with an eye patch who plays a guitar with a bow. Do you really think you ask him, oh, uh, can you clarify some pronunciation problems? Maybe I would. Uh, is it good? It is good, but it's very mellow. It wasn't what I was expecting. And so I think I'm going to have to listen to it a lot more before I get, like, the subtleties of it. It's not uh, like the last two albums, which were a bit more straightforward and in a way more enjoyable. I think Tack is my favourite album of theirs um, because it has things that more resemble songs. And I mean, that's the one that Hoppy Poller was on, which is the one that everyone knows from television. Right. And there is a reason it's their most popular song. That is that's a, the trouble with some of the popular things. Incorrect statement. Okay. <laughs> Many people know and would recognise it, but I'm not going to like sing to you an instrumental song because goodness knows everyone's had enough singing from me today. Yes, we definitely should. I think we should make a pact now to do no more singing this episode. I promise that I will not <laughs> sing again in this episode. Uh, and you can count on me for men. On the subject of broken promises and lying, um, the piece of music that I've been listening to most this week is... Uh, Related again to Game of Thrones, which I talked about last week. Uh, I am currently working through season two of the TV show of Game of Thrones with the girlfriend. Uh, we're up to about episode two, three, I think. Um, annoyingly, uh, almost everyone else I know is is up to the latest episode, episode nine. And uh, at the end of that, they do a version uh, of one of the songs that is mentioned repeatedly in the books called The Reigns of Castamere. Ooh, that's cool. And they do a version of it. You should listen to it. It's up on YouTube. And it's really, really good. It's like this uh, dirge-like lament uh, that uh, is sung during the episode by a group of uh, drunken soldiers in a, in a tavern. Um, and then at the end of the episode, they've got this uh, guy with this amazingly deep, resonant, not, in, not very kind of uh, professional-sounding voice, but very very kind of um what's the word uh just sort of engaging and resonant, resonant. yes that that's a word certainly um, <laughs> <laughs> it is a word uh, yeah. evocative um, that's the one i was there's a whole for. bit and this is cut it's not really a spoiler but whether they'll do it in the show i don't know there's a whole bit in storm of swords where a whole group of bards mm. do a competition for the lannisters in order to win like a loot made of solid silver mm. Um, so a loot of loot, basically. Um, come on. Uh, and because obviously they're doing it for the Lannisters and the reigns of Castamere is a song all about the kind of head of the Lannister family. Um, they, uh, each of them do a version of it, but the chapter is mostly from uh, a sarcastic and snide character's point of view. Yeah. Uh, in which he is just fed up with how bad many of the singers are. because Not because they're bad singers, but just they're really overdoing it. Yeah. No, uh, but this is this is really... Like, it's really good. And now, it, or for the, the certain select group amongst my friends who uh, enjoy grotesquely uh, over-quoting any given show that they happen to be uh, um, enamoured of, uh, this just gives another option for, uh, well, constantly singing the reigns of castamere at the slightest provocation uh so that's good okay is it like uh, is it from outlander 
the one about yeah yeah that kind of thing or beowulf or any of those what was the one i can't remember it was like vincent menon something like uh, that dust us here Unzerlandist. Oh yes. Oh, cu- that's not got like neo-fascist. No, not at all. Uh, yeah. So a friend of mine uh, 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 was attempting to teach himself German, and his chosen method of doing this was watching all the films he possessed uh, in German with English subtitles. And so he could he could do quite a lot of the Matrix in German. Uh, and you get, well, the Matrix is so good you, in German. You get some odd some odd vocab uh, out of that. But uh, anyway, yeah. Exactly. It taught me the word unvermeidlich. <laughs> which is uh, what Smith says to Neo in the German dub. Neo, es, well, no, it would be Herr Anderson, es ist unvermeidlich. Meaning? Um, uh, Mr. Anderson, it is inevitable. <laughs> unvermeidlich is good. That's a, that's a good German word. I like that. And I did learn how to do the whole bit from uh, Return of the Jedi in it. <coughs> it is unavoidable. It is your destiny. <laughs> But I cannot remember it now. Sorry, fans of me speaking German. You know who I mean. Uh, Except that the listeners don't. No. Uh, anyway. Except maybe we explained. Maybe we didn't. Maybe we did. Maybe we didn't. Who knows? Who knows? It's, it's um, unavailable information. Uh, did you watch anything this week? Ah, right. We're going through all the like categories of media. Yeah. Um, yes, I did. I watched a film. It was An American Werewolf in London. The John Landis seminal horror comedy um comedy yeah it's a uh rom-com woof a rom wom com <laughs> i like woof actually yeah that's good <laughs> i mean yeah uh, it is about two american tourists they are hiking slash hitchhiking across yorkshire um on their way around europe um and get attacked by a werewolf after being left out in the cold by some suspicious villagers. Um, one of them is killed and one of them is uh, turned into a werewolf. That's not really spoilers. The one who is killed uh, becomes a ghost because anyone who is killed by a werewolf, it automatically counts as unfinished business. <laughs> and until all of the werewolves that the werewolf has created are killed, everyone killed by the werewolf remains ghosts. Ooh. But their ghostly form rots as if it were their kind of in line with their body which leads to some you know pretty good makeup effects was in 1981 anyway um various interesting uh, things happen the guy's taken to hospital in london and um they don't really believe he's a werewolf it's been covered up by the village they think he's mad uh as soon as he's discharged from hospital the nurse who has been looking after him played by jenny agatha takes him home to her apartment and sleeps with him and Immediately before doing that, well, immediately after bringing him out to her apartment and immediately before sleeping with him, she says, I have slept with seven men. Three were one night stands. Uh, I don't just like to sleep with men I just met. And that seems to me to be a massive lie <laughs> because all of her behavior, they, they go back to the hospital and the doctor asks her, oh, have you seen, you know, the patient since he's been discharged? She's like, uh, yes. And the other nurse looks at her like, this happens all the time. <laughs> Literally every male patient who comes from... <laughs> that's, that's a pretty, and pretty dangerous hobby to have. Depending on it really what, is. She works what, in quite a serious ward. Yeah. Uh, anyway. Um, but yeah. Um, and also, you know, it leads into werewolf action and some very surreal scenes involving him hiding out in an adult theatre where they're watching a kind of Dardarist adult film Ooh. in which lots of strange non sequitur things do happen. Um, it's it's an interesting film um it does feature jenny agatha nudity and i wanted to mention this because the people the generation above me 
you know, we're all like, yeah, Logan's run American Werewolf in London. And I'm all like, I saw her in the Railway Children and the Avengers and stuff. <laughs> in my mind, I don't think of her as instantly being the actress who is nude. In the same way that apparently Helen Mirren used to be that actress. Oh, really? Yeah, you don't think of that now, do no, you? you try and avoid it, really. <laughs> I'm not quite sure what the actress of our generation is. Like, male, clearly Ewan McGregor. Mm. Barring Star Wars, he's always naked. <laughs> um, and uh... how... A prequel trilogy. You don't know be. what's underneath that uh, that robe that he's wearing. Actually, we're no, all naked you, underneath our you clothes. You probably man. do know what's underneath that robe he's wearing. <laughs> I'm sure it's been covered in some expanded universe source book. <laughs> it's probably been uncovered as well. Ooh. <laughs> ha, ha, ha. Right. That's enough. Uh, what have we done this week? We've successfully filled about 20 minutes. Let's move on to some psychology. <laughs> you sure you want to do that? <laughs> <laughs> it's, uh, not really. It's probably best if we try and remain meta. Uh, <laughs> meta is better uh, after all yes meta is super so i think i'm going to go first right why not let's yeah sure who cares who <laughs> even cares i think our listeners care <laughs> you hope i do yeah um Des- right yeah so basically the uh we talked last week or i talked at length um again previewing the outro it would seem um <coughs> talked at length about uh how uh music might impact emotion but one interesting area in music and emotion that we didn't look at was how emotion can influence what music we seek out so what we have seen thus far in case you missed it was that uh music uh the preference for the music we're presented with is impacted by the emotion that we're feeling at the time by mood induction for example or just perhaps by experience sampling uh what we want to know is when we're feeling down is there a psychological process that makes us go to our room and play linkin park oh i'm, I'm doing the emo kid thing again <laughs> sorry hunter and schellenberg's emo kid strikes again uh, and by strikes again, I mean goes and sits in her room. Uh, and oh, it's a her, draws is it? Stuff. Okay. Yeah, in my mind, it's a it's a goth girl with dyed black hair and a black hoodie. And and you love her. No, <laughs> I don't have any sort of predilection towards girls with black hair. What are you talking about, Ben? <laughs> you see, I, I've reached the point where I'm not sure whether I say things and they're jokes or they're truths or they're lies. <laughs> You'd be amazing on Would I Lie to You? I know, it's great. You just have to get yourself into this kind of trance state. <laughs> where nothing uh, is true. Where every, it's transcendence, Everything man. you say is a paradox. <laughs> exactly, yeah, we've experienced... We've been listening to some music <laughs> over... Which is true, I it's think. It's true, and we've achieved I, a I sort of transcendence. <laughs> transcendence is such a loose term, it's so hard to pin down. Although I think if you were to come up with an empirical definition of what wasn't transcendent... Uh, <laughs> The song that you'll be hearing at the end of it. Sorry, the out the outro that may that isn't a song that you'll be hearing oh, at the end of this episode is uh, is it anyway? Yeah, we're so artificially inflating it. Um, Konechny is oh oh great. It's the, yeah, uh, it's the thing that's going to be on the Xbox Seven Twenty, isn't it? <laughs> it's the Russian version. Did you see? Russian did you see the uh, the news article about the fact that the Connect motion sensor technology is being used on the International Space Station for I did not. docking procedures? That's horrifying news. 
I saw something that said there was this new thing that was more like a cross between Connect and a hologram, but I can't remember what it was called. It was called something like Life, uh, but maybe not Life. Oh dear. Uh, um, yeah. Well, I mean that that's partially better, but you know, still not great. Anyway, yeah, Konechny, um He has a Caron in his name, uh, and that makes it hard to pronounce. Um, basically, looked into this. Uh, and indeed has written huge amounts on music and emotion. Uh, so much so that he starts off in this book chapter I was reading. Yeah, another book chapter. How weird is that? It's all been books. Well, he's been reading for this, this week. It's too... Well, don't, yeah. They're basically like long articles, long review articles, but... With no data. <laughs> yeah. Um, Konechny uh, puts a table of the various theories of emotion and music as presented by various samples of psychologists of various levels of experience. And basically, a small section of every group suggested that the relationship, rather than the perhaps obvious, music leads to emotions, or music leads to associations that lead to emotions, was in fact the quite awesome model of music leads to dance, <laughs> which leads to emotions. <laughs> Well, and you think, okay, that's kind of interesting. Konech, yeah, Konechny, stupid, difficult name. Konechny is big on this in a totally non-creepy way. <laughs> I'll quote, Model 3 acknowledges dance as possibly a major, most likely primordial mediator between music and emotion. Konechny 2005, Konechny 2008, Konechny et al. 2008. Dance allows the display of a person's physique, skill, and endurance. The young especially, and young women in particular, engage in it a great deal. Incidentally, he cites a reference for that. <laughs> He's such a scientist. Is it, is it personal correspondence? No, it's Wells 1990, Table 3. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I want to see that table now. I suppose it yeah, table like a... dancing is quite a specific sort of dancing. Uh, uh, you might get in trouble with the girlfriend if you... Anyway, um, <laughs> dance makes possible the close observation of potential sexual partners and often involves physical proximity with them. It encourages being courted, touched, or slighted. Miller's 2000 case for the evolution of human music through sexual selection becomes more convincing when dance is proposed as one of the key mediators. It is therefore surprising that dance is almost universally ignored by music psychologists, except as a medium that can reflect the structural and expressive attributes of music. The chief reason may be music psychologists' relative neglect of the social context of music listening. To summarise, Konechny spends a lot of time on the balcony of clubs watching women dance. Good. Well, that's a slight against a man's character based on very little. <laughs> Don't worry, there's more to come. Hooray! Basically, to just have a go at Konechny. Some of it's justified, some of it isn't. <laughs> Good. Can... <laughs> he watched me dance, Ben. It made me very happy. <laughs> but yeah. He, he mistook it for sexual selection rather than transcendence. <laughs> yeah. I think dance can only be explained by A, transcendence, and B, drugs that cause said transcendence <laughs> in my case. Um, yeah, Konechny has theories on emotion, and they're quite cognitivist. He has a model called the PEEM, which doesn't look kind of rude at all, <laughs> uh, where the first step after the event is perception and interpretation, and then comes the physical responses, and then the labelling of the emotion, and finally behaviour. And so that is very much, you cognitively work out what the event makes you feel, then you feel those things, and then you put a label on them that says that's anger, which is quite a specific way around of doing it. But anyway, hmm. 
He also argues that emotions are for emergencies and are kind of overwhelming, which is just one of the dozens of definitions of emotions found in the emotional literature that deliberately exclude some feelings or experiences that most lay people would call emotional. And he says, you think in an emergency, the behavior of listening to music might be a low priority. You know, running is a high priority behavior, hitting, those sort of things. <laughs> He sees that clearly emotion, although it's quite cognitive, is also quite that kind of primal emotions is the way he sees it. And I'll come back to that later because it's um, something that maybe I disagree with. Um, anyway, um, he said ecologically valid research of when people listen to music after an emotional event is lacking uh, in the lab, of course, authentic or at least nearly authentic emotions are hard to create. And he rattles off a list of methods that you use to try and provoke emotions in the lab. Uh, winning or losing money, film clips, praise from strangers, being separated by pe from people one met five minutes ago. Um, although he doesn't present any evidence to show whether these were effective or not. Mm. Uh, anecdotally, I can tell you that praise from strangers definitely inspires emotion in me. Uh, similarly, he states that using music to induce emotion doesn't work, despite the fact it definitely does because I've literally done it myself. <laughs> and, well, anyway, he says that memory is the only way to induce emotions, and that does work. So, well done, Vladimir. Uh, I should have just called him Vladimir. That's his first name. That would be easier than trying to say Konechny over and over again. Would. Plus, now, he sounds more sort of Machiavellian and a little bit like a vampire. Yeah, I think that's racist. But, you know... Um, oh, did you see that shocking video? Actually, we'll talk about that in your book. Are you suggesting that Vladimir Putin isn't Machiavellian? Oh, no, obviously that would be ridiculous to suggest. And I don't think vampire is a race, is it? <laughs> I think there's a minority in Transylvania, you know, who are just like, vampire representation in the Romanian regional governments. No, because any, any, any race can become a vampire. That's the point. You know, orcs, elves, whatever. <laughs> Yeah, I did use the phrase like racial ability earlier today in yeah. reference to Skyrim. <laughs> but why? Yeah. Anyway, well, I guess we will come back to many of those things. But yeah, um, Vladimir later argues that moods are different from emotions and that I'm criticizing him unfairly for saying those methods don't invoke emotion and I should apologize to him for using the terms interchangeable. Well, I say to you, Vladimir, mood and well, yeah. You know, my lawn needed cutting. Um, mood and emotion are clearly only quantitatively different, so shut your mouth, Vladimir. Music can evoke emotion, dependent on how effective the particular stimulus shut is. Again, I'm not presenting much evidence <laughs> in that regard, but... Then neither is he. Uh, yeah. Shut so up in, gen in general, mu being in a negative emotional state, connection finds in his review of the evidence, uh, leads you to prefer music that is less complex, less novel, and less loud i.e. David Guetta with the volume down. Uh, and I'll put in the show notes a sketch from the French equivalent of Spitting Image that illustrates David Guetta's piano in quite an entertaining way. Oh, good. I look forward to that. <laughs> and this may be because it takes more cognitive effort to process negative emotions. And so overly complex music overstimulates us in that case. And I guess we should have talked really about the whole kind of optimal stimulation, Yerkes-Dodson thing. Uh we generally want to be stimulated to the right level to feel happy. If we're understimulated, we're bored. If we're overstimulated, we're anxious. But different people's midpoint is in different places. And that's literally chemical. The same sort of people who like uh, drugs are the people who like roller coasters. It's that same high level of stimulation that you need. Quick question. 
Yerks Dodson. How do you spell the Yerks part of that? Uh, in the same way as the creatures from animals. Good. I don't. I'm glad. Uh, no, that's I think where you were going. Yes. That was. I, just, I like, think oh, that oh, is. The, the little slug things that take over your brain in animals. Uh, yeah. That was a free uh, show. Anyway, carry on. I mean, Yerks was a deeply racist man, so I can assume that's where Kay Applegate got the inspiration. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they were particularly racist. I mean, just no, they're evil. In the evil authoritarian. But, yeah, you know. but no, they happily they happily use any race with advantages. Mm. But then they pick humans. I can't remember why they want humans because the other races they've got are great warrior races. Mm. Oh, well. I don't know. I'd have to reread it. And do I really want to go back to that particular phase of my childhood? Probably not. A bit. <laughs> <laughs> I wish I could transform into animals. I don't wish that that much. I, of all the powers I would want. Oh, like night reading, might, clearly. Might have its advantages, but no, stop time. Anyway, that's a whole other question for a whole other podcast. Um, yes, meanwhile in another podcast. <laughs> um, yeah, um, basically, yeah. So if we're feeling sad, the, the level of stimulation has already gone up because we're cognitively dealing with that. And so to add complex music on top of that would take us above the optimal level of stimulation to anxiety um so yeah um for specific emotion connection himself has done some studies one focused on anger which was induced by an assistant insulting the participants because apparently praise from a stranger doesn't have any impact on emotion oh, yeah. but insults do and uh, to an extent that's probably fair enough mm. insults do tend to hit a bit harder than praise but it does seem like connection has just gone on all these methods don't work but this method definitely does work. Um, the angry participants, when offered a choice, chose less complex melodies as their preference compared to the neutral controls. Um, now, these pieces of music were made from tone sequences, so not like real music unless they were chiptunes fans, which they weren't because this study was done in the 70s, um, unless they were time travellers, in which case they probably shouldn't have been wasting their time taking part in those experiments. <laughs> In later experiments on anger, complex rhythms were rejected by angry participants, meaning that angry people must hate math rock. Yeah. I was reading a post recently that was just like, I think I finally worked out this time signature to a 65 days of static song. It's 33 over 16. <laughs> I like, uh, there's a, a band called Meshuggah who are sort of math, they're not math core because that's different to math rock, but they're sort of, they're slightly math metal um, but the way that they, uh, I read that the way that they put together their time signatures is they have a human drummer who will do one time signature. And then they also have a, a self-built drum machine that they will program in some random, completely different time signature. And so you have two different time signature rhythms going on in the same song, uh, which sort of go in and out of phase with each other. Super. I was thinking what it would be is right. You tear off, I say tear off, whole bits of pieces of paper and you write some numbers on them. Mm. And then you put them all in the bag and you pluck out two. And that's your time signature for the new song. Yeah. So it's like, but like it's four over 12. <laughs> <laughs> it's time signature bingo. <laughs> exactly. It's kind of more like the FA Cup draw for time signatures. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and this was done with real composed music. Um, and actually, I'll give Konechny some credit. And for some reason, I've been denying him credit. I'm like a bank not lending to small businesses. Um, <laughs> uh, he looked at the consequences of listening to the preferred music. He didn't just do the experiment, look at which music was chosen and preferred. He then followed up 
after a little while and found that it reduced anger. These are simple pieces of music, I guess, simple rhythms. It decreased aggressive behavior and it decreased physiological arousal. So clearly these people weren't just choosing the music because it's like, whoa, complex rhythms make me even more angry. <laughs> um, that was almost like Tina Fey doing the impression of Jerry Seinfeld from 30 Rock. Anyway, um, very specific reference. Um, but uh, yeah, um, that they did find them soothing. Um, it did calm them down, in fact. So maybe there would be some kind of level of rhythm that was not too complex and not too simple that would keep them, you know, take five, for example, mm. would keep them at a steady level of anger. <laughs> um, Hulk smash. Um, <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. Um, he also did some complex thing involving fear. I don't like that... Hulk smash. It's always a bit too lump, lumpy for me. He doesn't put enough butter in. <laughs> for Hulk mash, get Hulk smash. <laughs> I promised I wouldn't sing again. No! Uh, anyway. Advertising jingles. Why must you betray me again? <laughs> um, yeah. Um, so yeah, he did some complex thing involving fear that I didn't really understand because it was like an overly complicated experiment, but not one that was built up in phases to rule things out. It was just one that seemed to be complicated from stage one. Right. Basically, to summarise, right, people who were experiencing fear would choose to listen to simple melodies but only when they'd already been taught to listen to those simple melodies while afraid right okay so if you scare someone and offer them a choice of melodies they don't choose simple melodies but if you put someone in a condition where you've been playing them simple melodies while scaring them and playing them complex melodies while scaring them at the end the people who know that the simple melodies will help them will pick the simple melodies because they've already experienced simple melody in conjunction with fear and maybe it reduces their fear really quite complicated who knows yeah that is a bit peculiar so you know you wonder why it's difficult to study music and emotion it's because mm. those are the sort of results you get <laughs> so yeah um he didn't really look at positive emotion, but he moved on to mood with a quick dig at mood induction by saying that one study had shown saying feel happy was as effective as combining <laughs> the Velton statements and music. That doesn't necessarily uh, mean that they're not effective. It just means that saying feel happy is also quite effective. Yeah. Also, it was one study. Yeah. And I'd like to know over the whole of the literature how effective it is, because mm. pick and choose. Anyway, um, also, he then pointed out that mood study seems to only focus on mood regulation cheering up people who are feeling unhappy and he says those people are hedonists and whenever they say well sometimes we need to feel sad for good reasons he says then they are a hypocrite uh i have this feeling that connection was grumpy and liked being grumpy <laughs> and watching people dance maybe that was why he was grumpy maybe none of them would dance with him oh that um, makes me feel sorry feel sad despite the fact that it's purely fiction there are other ways of well what is this podcast about if not shamelessly <laughs> attacking the character of people that we have no reason to shamelessly attack other than well, it, minor problems with their that. work <laughs> <laughs> there are the people who we are, we're portraying this guy as a grumpy stalker but he's probably <laughs> a very nice man I was just because I was writing the TV tropes article. I mentioned the whole libel stuff, <laughs> and clearly realised we hadn't really libelled anyone in a while. <laughs> well, we may not be libelling anyone for a while, but we're certainly going to be dancing around the issues of copyright infringement in a short time. <laughs> How many laws can we break without getting caught? Uh, don't phrase that in the form of a challenge. <laughs> the only thing that's keeping us from being caught is our relatively low listenership. 
Yes, I suppose so. Um, I wish we had a listenership. Then we could go for a listener sale. Well, that's what Jonathan Colton did. Did he go for a listener sale? He had a uh, cruise. Oh, that's amazing. For his fans. That's brilliant. Um, yeah, that was the second one this year, the Joko Cruise Crazy, oh. which apparently is a reference to one of his songs, which I didn't get. Fair enough. Anyway, well, you we know, probably wouldn't anyway. have been allowed on the cruise if you didn't get the reference. I don't have a ukulele. That was like the thing you had to bring. Uh, I do. <laughs> 200 ukuleles on board. I should have found me. Could I be your plus one? Probably shouldn't ask that. Um, <laughs> uh, that reminds me, that wedding, what we got invited to, uh, it turns doesn't out... doesn't say plus no, one. No, uh, well, I have a, an autom- I, I have a plus one contained within my, invita- in my invitation, so... Uh, you can say what now? She didn't include an inv- plus one in my invitation. Well, no, What's she trying to she say about me? She gave me a specific plus one. It was, oh, I right, so you're only allowed to bring one specific plus one. Yeah, I'm allowed. No, I would. Well, that specific plus one was contained within the invitation. It wasn't really a plus oh, one. It so was just a joint invitation. It's a couple. <laughs> Okay, that's that's fine then. I don't feel as like you got one. She goes through and she's just like, hmm. I wonder if this person is likely to bring a plus one, and you've got the plus one envelopes and the <laughs> non plus envelopes, and she picked me for a non plus one envelope. I'm getting neurotic about this. <laughs> Doesn't sound like you. Anyway, where were you up to with uh, with Konechny? Is that the right uh, pronunciation? Yeah, well, yeah. He did come up with an interesting experiment that framed music choice as being like a meal. Basically, said to the participants, okay, I've got five sound stimuli here. You've got to listen to two minutes of each in 15-second blocks and in whatever order you like. And so you've got, they're either complex or simple and soothing and non-soothing. And then one aversive one, which was just like a super loud high tone. Mm. Um, And so there was like soft rock, hard rock, classical and jazz or something like that. Um, And the... And then Enya, presumably, like the aversive one. (laughs) I like Enya. I'm the only person in the world who does. Judas Priest, actually, that's a super loud high tone. Okay. I think it was genuinely like a tone of X hertz, but I can't remember how many hertz and I can't be bothered to look it up. Um, And so what the participants did was towards the start they would listen to the aversive stuff but they would break it up so it would be 15 seconds of aversive followed by 15 seconds of their second most like stimulus. Mm. Uh, because they couldn't cope with all the aversive on one go. So we called this like the spinach. But at the end, they would play two minutes of Unbroken, their favourite one. Usually the soft rock, which is non-soothing simple, I think. That is that is a good a good analogy right there. Yeah, that works really it's a well. great analogy. I'm not sure what it tells us about music and emotion. because no, that's a highly unrealistic situation to be placed in. Yeah, uh, yeah, exactly. Um, in another study... People who were doing exercise would choose high-intensity music, and while they were relaxing, low-intensity music, and immediately after exercise, people would choose low-intensity music to calm themselves down. And that's really a much more useful one. Mm. Um, and kind of ecologically valid, in a way, because you do often listen to music in the gym and stuff, yeah. and people have uh, much, much more workout mixes. You know, as Edward Norton once said, workout beginning. That's a reference to a very specific Nike Plus advert. Yep. He's addicted to running. You know what happens when you're addicted to running? Uh, it's you have so yeah. It's uh, worse than cocaine addiction, presumably. Oh uh, well, the same. It's very bad for you. Actually, no, it is worse because it's more like heroin addiction. It works on the opiate system rather than the dopamine system. Damn. Edward Norton needs help, <laughs> and Nike did not give it to him. Um, so yes, one final experiment of music choice was very simple. Basically they induced bad neutral and good mood and what happened was that 
the bad mood people chose uh, positive and upbeat music, whereas the good mood people could afford to experiment, basically. Mm. That's what Konechny says. They would choose some sad and some happy. Mm. And it seems that, as Konechny puts it, good mood maintenance is much less important than bad mood repair. Mm. And Konechny makes one final point, and it's almost a good one. (laughs) He does point out at the beginning of the chapter or the end of the chapter, I forget where, I made this point 25 years ago, but no one listened. Well, no one listens because you write obnoxiously, Konechny. That's the emo Uh, kid in the room now. Go go and watch people. You don't understand me, music psychologists. (laughs) Basically, music is such an integral part of life that we need to study it in a social context, um, but also to maintain control. We need ambitious lab studies to try and get our heads around that by control. Oh, right. Okay, no one listened because he asked the impossible. And deliberately... And stated the bleeding obvious. <laughs> ...the pager experience sampling studies that could be useful. Anyway, the conclusion is, it seems we choose music to fix bad emotions and moods, whereas when we're feeling good, we experiment with music. But it might be more the complex than that, and probably is. And you don't like Konechny. Yeah, I don't. I think it's just the way he writes. Mm. Mm. So, so, sorry, Ganeshni, I've done a hatchet job. You did say some interesting things. You did do some interesting experiments, but you also just chose to ignore a whole load of stuff that could have been useful. Oh, there we go. Uh, yep, that's the end of that. Yeah. Well, okay, shall, shall I do one for a little bit again? Yeah, okay, <laughs> yeah. This has been a very me-dominated... Oh, it's fine, I, I like it. It's good, I can just sort of chill and listen to you to you ramble and occasionally... How much have you been tweeting? Uh, not at all, actually, this time. Um, but anyway, so uh, my study is basically not at all related to that. Um, it's the one-off in the week of music and emotion. This one doesn't really relate to emotion. It's more about uh, the fact that I happen to come across this study doing the prep for this, and it relates quite closely to my area of research. So it gives me an excuse to talk about social psychology. So suck it. Um, so it's called negative stereotype activation uh, alters interaction between neural correlates of arousal inhibition and cognitive control by Forbes, Cox, Schmader and Ryan 2011 so not only is it social psychology it's social neuroscience delicious delicious social neuroscience Um, it's your favourite flavour I know it is Uh, it's great it's uh, so delicious and fulfilling Um, anyway so we'll start off with some basic social neuroscience just to get the groundwork covered so you have the amygdala. You do literally have the amygdala. You have an amygdala in your brain right now. Well, you have two. Don't try and claw it out. Well, maybe you have two. If you're lucky, you have two. Um, so you have an or some amygdala. Um, and the amygdala are brain areas evolutionarily designed to protect you from unexpected tigers. That is their one and only role. Um, thus, generally, your amygdala gets active when you have... Uh, sudden, unexpected, and emotionally or, yeah, generally emotionally salient stimuli. So this can, this is most traditionally associated with fear-inducing stimuli, like very loud noises or uh, sudden presentations of aversive stimuli, or tigers. Um, uh, But also it it has been found to work with positive stimuli that are unexpected and extremely salient. Um, Okay. When you uh, apply it to social psychology, you find that, generally speaking, your amygdala is more active when you uh, show it pictures of out-group members uh, compared to in-group members. So if you show your amygdala, if you're a white person, and your amygdala is also white, um, and you show it pictures of uh, a black person, then you'll generally get more amygdala activation than if you showed a picture of a a white person. 
my supervisor did a study, really cool study, where he showed that if you have more contact with people in the outgroup, uh, for example, if as a white person you have more contact with black people, this difference in amygdala activation goes down, um, which is cool because it shows a uh, neurological implementation of a quite well-established social psychological construct, i.e. the contact hypothesis. Yeah. Because, um, um, yeah, I remember reading one on that where it's just like, originally people did this study and found there was no consistent results in uh, uh, black people in America. And then they actually looked at the contact thing and was like, oh, right, okay, this black person grew up with all white people, so has yeah. the white people kind of thing. And I was like, oh, right, simple solution. Why didn't you think of it? Yes. Um, however, in addition to contact and various other variables, uh, it also depends on how long you show the stimulus for. Um, the amygdala is uh, quite a, an evolutionarily old part of the brain. It's, it's kind of um, folded up inside with all the old bits. And uh, it deals generally with unexpected stimuli. So it works on quite a fast time scale. It's, it's part of the uh, uh, HPA axis, which is the hypothalamus pituitary amygdala, I think, uh, yeah. uh, which is the, basically the fight or flight reflex. Uh, controls the fight or flight reflex, so it has to act fast. Um, and so what happens is if you look at stimuli for longer periods of time, it gives your slowpoke frontal lobes time to catch up because the frontal lobes are evolutionarily new. We've only just got them uh, and we're still, you know, we're still getting used to them. We haven't properly read the manual and they ta it takes us a bit of time to do anything with them, although they are very powerful. Um, it's like, you know, getting getting a new exciting piece of statistic software uh, or something like that. It's probably not something many people can relate to. Anyway, um, <laughs> so to use the concrete example, uh, you show your amygdala a picture. You're a white person. You show your amygdala a picture of a black person. Uh, your amygdala goes, oh, crap, it's a black person. Uh, and then your prefrontal lobe goes, god damn it, amygdala, stop being so racist. Um, which in neuroscientific terms manifests as the, a prefrontally generated downregulation of amygdala activity, either directly or via the orbitofrontal thalamic pathway, since you yeah, asked. Amazing. Yeah, amazing how the first one is a bit more easy. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it makes sense. So basically you have a, a, an area, a, a area of the frontal lobes, the prefrontal cortex, which uh, is, is, coarsely speaking, where your morals are. Um, which is, would make any neuroscientist cringe. But basically, yeah, that's the bit that's going, you shouldn't <laughs> but be racist. a popular racist. modern philosophy book, you know, you've got that soul. Yeah, no. That, the moral brain, I see it now. Yeah, so it's the bit that contains your kind of like superordinate goals um, and things like don't be racist. Um, then you have your amygdala, which is just reacting to threats, which will be, you know, also could be just unfamiliar things or whatever. And then you have this little intermediate area called the orbitofrontal cortex. So what you generally find is when amygdala activation goes up to, say, a black face, prefrontal activation also goes up because the amygdala is going, ah, a black person, and your prefrontal cortex is going, ah, amygdala, stop being racist. And your orbitofrontal uh, activity kind of mediates this process. So it that activity will be like inverse to your amygdala. Uh, yeah. Okay. Anyway. Uh, now, what the authors in this study, Forbes et al., were interested in studying is whether there might be any factors that throw off your prefrontal cortex's ability to regulate your bias reactions. Uh, specifically, does listening to violent misogynist rap music reduce the influence of your prefrontal cortex over your amygdala? Um, uh, based on the idea that uh, it would predispose, listening to this uh, music, which is A, associated with uh, black subculture, and B, 
extremely negatively valence threatening um, would that disincline your prefrontal cortex from actually dealing with the amygdala and just allow it to, to let it sort of do its own thing so they had three conditions in this study the first was no uh, no music control then they had the violent misogynist rap music and then they had uh, the DM condition death metal condition uh, which was chosen as a stimulus because it is aggressive, generally negatively rated music, unless you happen to like it, uh, but it's more associated with white people than black people. Although that's a slight niggly issue that I'll come back to later. Um, and they have. I know you're going to come back to it later. Can I just point out the irony that they could have used black metal in there? I know. So, I mean, A, they didn't use death metal. They used Slipknot. Slipknot is not death metal. I will put some death metal in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> I literally will. Um, yeah, Slipknot isn't death metal. Slipknot is new metal, or they don't like to be called it, or it's like new wave American, American heavy metal. It's not death metal. Bad, bad for Forbes, Cox, and Schmader and Ryan. Um, but anyway, uh, so they had these three conditions. They had people in the scanner. They had them uh, looking at faces in a basic kind of which side of the screen is the face appearing on task. Um, and what they found was that when you present images quickly, uh, black faces produce uh, amygdala activation when you have no music and when you have uh, violent misogynist rap music. And that this amygdala activation co covariate is covariate with prefrontal activity. Normal, normal situation. So sure. this is the pre-established finding that's, been, that's happened when you don't have music. They're just sort of replicating it with no music and showing that it also happens when you have violent misogynist rap music. Um, if you have slow faces, uh, i.e. present them for a longer period of time, you only get the amygdala activity when you have the violent misogynist rap music. Uh, okay. and, and in that instance, it positively correlates again with prefrontal activity, negatively with orbitofrontal activity. So basically, what would normally happen in that situation is for the slow faces, you, you don't get anything. Like the amygdala um, is completely downregulated by your free front, prefrontal areas. When you have the violent misogynist rap music, you the uh, the regulatory effect is significantly lessened, which is interesting. Um, you can sort of imagine it's it's kind of difficult to imagine specific situations where this would happen, given that it's relating to black to, to uh, brain activity in and of itself, rather than say behaviour. Um, yes, but certainly if you the example that I remember discussing with a friend was if you are driving to an interview where you are going to be one of the interviewers and someone pulls up alongside you blaring out violent misogynist rap music out of their car and you get to the interview and a black guy is the guy you're interviewing, then this could potentially be a problem. Yeah. How long would the effect last between music and the processing? Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know, but clearly that's a question. Very much so. So, I mean, I think it's a very interesting study and it's nice because it ties it into the, the neuroscience. Um, well, the one question uh, raised by uh, my girlfriend, actually, when I talked to her about this was um, their questions of the stimuli they used. So I think it's relatively, I think, as a white person, that it's relative, there's a relatively clear association a relatively common association between violent misogynist rap music and black people. But what I don't know is whether there is a clear sub-categorization of black people who are highly associated with it, whether, and whether that sub, 
I mean, in fact, I'm sure that there is. It's associated with, you know, gangster culture, um, that kind of thing. Not the entirety of black people in the world. Uh, because that's sure. Being yeah. ridiculous. But what I don't also I'm not entirely sure. And maybe there is, maybe there isn't. Maybe there is a, a uh, there are physical cues to that particular association. And maybe there's something interesting about whether white people aren't quite so sensitive to the specific physical cues that indicate someone may be uh, more associated with violent misogynist rap music than than a black person, than a black person who isn't. Because comparing it with their other stimulus, the death metal, putting aside for one minute that it isn't death metal, um, had they presented uh, images of white people who were stereotypically associated with death metal, that would have been a sample of stimuli which would have been significantly different in appearance from a general population sample. So, because there are clear physical cues for association with heavy metal. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, yeah, there are sort of slight stimulus compounds, although I think that the basic finding that they report is interesting and seems fairly reasonable to me. Yeah. I think it warrants further research. Oh, deaths. Um, shizzle. Yeah. <laughs> Stop it. You're affecting my prefrontal cortex. <laughs> I always affect your prefrontal cortex. Yeah, because I'm constantly having to keep myself from doing all the bad things. Anyway, <laughs> um, no, I guess the thing I would be interested in is, you know, different genres with different effects. Mm-hmm. And could you find, you know, music that was kind of positively and negatively associated with different ethnicities I and think stuff so. like that. When, uh, when this kind of stuff, I think there may be another study about this, which does look more at behavior or maybe there isn't, maybe I'm just making this up, but um, I was discussing it with a colleague of mine and we thought it would be interesting to compare uh, something like, okay, you take your violent misogynist rap music, which was, uh, let me see. It was by uh, NWA uh, straight out of Compton. Uh, the okay, death yep. was only one by Slipknot, and they were sele- those two particular tracks were selected from um, a, a pre-rating thing where they had five of each genre, and they were selected because they were equivalent in negative affect, perceived violence, and tempo. But the um, uh, violent misogynist rap music, the rap song, was rated as more stereotypical of Black Americans than the death metal song. Yeah, but we were wondering, what if you got um, negatively uh, rated? black associated music and compared it with positively uh, rated black associated music such as I don't know something like Nina Simone or uh, some like jazz or blues or something like that yeah Uh, well I was even thinking of stuff in a similar genre that was more like something a bit more thoughtful you know something like Kanye West something like Childish Gambino mm. something like that Sugar Hill which may be <laughs> I was wondering how many white people could kind of tell the difference without being into that genre mm. yeah I mean that's a which whole is... lot of control of I mean I suppose they did kind of take into account of this by recording liking of the music um, and generally yeah. if you don't like it you're probably not in not very up in the genre although maybe you're an, a rap aficionado who just hates the fact ha- hates violent misogynist rap music i don't know yeah which there are people yeah, who fit fairly reasonably <laughs> uh, so yeah interesting yes sorry that was a kind of distraction but... that's fine uh get some discussion flowing uh so yeah what, what are your uh what are your conclusions um hmm I wonder. Um, 
yeah, things are still complicated, clearly. <laughs> the music we choose, whether it's to do with its emotional content or its genre, which not many people really went into in the whole music and emotion field, mm. clearly it differs for different people because there's taste. You know, taste is such a huge thing that we haven't gone into oh, and maybe we need someone to come on and talk about kind of aesthetic psychology, which we talked about a bit in the past with Ramachandran and such, mm. but clearly it's so hard to tease apart. The fact is that the music that interests me might bore other people. Yeah, and almost And the music would. that you like might kind of freak other people out. It certainly would. Um, and so, clearly, it's really hard to work out. So to answer the initial question that was posed to us by Tom, what makes happy music happy and sad music sad? You. Well... You make happy music happy and sad music sad. Yeah, but how? We don't always... Probably know. involves your brain. Yeah, clearly... You know, reward pathways, emotional pathways. Um, Health, but, stereotypes, yeah. your contact with the groups involved, that kind of... Memory. Yeah. I mean, yeah. So, basically, you might as well have asked us, how does consciousness... <laughs> it's about us to answer it. And it says something, I think that's what it, the, my, the final note I'd like to leave it on, is music is clearly something amazing that it's so complicated and so hard to work out that it's up there with the most complicated human experiences in terms of trying to explain it mm. in terms of the brain and psychology and that's kind of i like that that makes me feel oh, happy no, it's, it's great and on that note let's go to the outro <laughs> do we want to do uh yeah so as always if you have any uh, thoughts comments uh questions <laughs> Uh, which was a phrase uh, raised a lot in the teaching course I attended last week. Uh, thoughts, oh, comments, yes. questions, uh, contact us, uh, the psychomedia podcast at gmail.com or facebook.com slash psychomedia. Now you, now you have to do or and then it throws back to me. Or uh, team psychomedia uh, at, at team psychomedia on Twitter. Or and com for the blog where you can comment and see the show notes. And yeah, go and fiddle with our uh, our TV tropes page as well. Why? Oh yes, yes. Why not even? Uh, uh, yeah. See if I notice. <laughs> Don't write anything mean. Um, you could rate us on iTunes. We should probably say goodbye. Let's. Bye bye. <laughs> Just woke up, gotta do my prep, gotta be more funny Gotta have my notes, gotta have articles Reading everything, the time is going Ticking on and on, last minute rushing Gotta get down to the laptop Gotta get on Skype, where is Ben? Overly obscure references Too much about Star Wars Gotta make my mind up Which jokes can I make? It's Freud Day, Freud Day, gotta get down on Freud Day. Everybody's looking forward to the penis, I mean weekend. Freud Day, Freud Day, gotta get down on Freud Day. Everybody looking forward to a really long a weekend. Podcasting, podcasting. Yeah. Podcasting, podcasting. Yeah. Fun, 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 fun. Looking forward to the penis. I was headbanging through. <laughs> that made me angry. Uh, yeah, that'll do. Yeah. Single release <laughs> will be coming soon. Mm.